Amen. So I'm, I'm going to read from Ephesians 6.10, and we have a couple of passages we'll look at tonight. I feel like this is an important teaching. I, I intend tonight to talk to you as a follow-up to two previous messages that the Lord prophetically put on our hearts and as part of his timeline and plan for us. And I believe the church of this city and of this nation, actually. So the follow-up is to the message. Many of you uh, would remember the Ephesians mandate. We did that, uh, that series two series ago. And it was about a year ago when two years ago. And the Lord was really putting on my heart very clearly that he was calling us to a specific battle and we had to prepare. And Ephesians was the letter of wisdom to prepare for the battle leading up to our verse. I'll read it here. Okay, let's just read it since we're there. Ephesians 6.10. My translation starts with this word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, probably a better way of viewing that word, finally, is fine, Millie. <laughs> uh, finally is fine. But really what Paul is saying, uh, saying here is, um, from this point forward, be strong. Because he's assuming the teaching of Ephesians 1, 1, all the way to 6, chapter 6, verse 9. The moment right before this exhortation closes the, the teaching section where he was preparing the church for battle. And then he says, OK, now having heard this, having led up to this moment, having the wisdom of all of these five and a half chapters, so to speak, from this point forward, be strong. Because you're being called to specific battle. All right. So we heard that. Two years ago, the Lord was putting it on my heart with a great deal of clarity leading up to the day when the series would start. And I knew it was the day. And that was a day of great difficulty and a lot of fog and a lot of warfare. It was a very hard day uh, for our family. And it was clear that there was spiritual warfare going on. And um, then leading up to this message, we have yet again another weekend of very significant spiritual warfare. So the timing of this feels very targeted for me personally, for our family, and um, I believe it is for all of us. We have been preparing in many ways. I don't think our preparation process is finished. Of course, it's never really finished. But for the specific battle to which we are being called, we are close to being prepared. I'm not the judge. I'm not sure. I'm not saying we're supposed to now jump to the top of a hill and start addressing some principality or something like this. That's not where most warfare is accomplished. Most warfare is accomplished with the spiritual health of our families and of our spiritual families, both and. Uh, and that's what Ephesians teaches us. But we're still at a significant moment where I need to follow up on that message of preparation and say we're getting close. Because one of the things that I felt indicated to me by the spirit was that we are in some sense going to have to address and confront a principality of some kind of religious spirit. Over our area. But when I say confront this, I don't necessarily mean we're going to rise up and talk to it and make all these decrees and commands. 
we may or may not be led to pray a certain way. When we prepare for battle and when we uh, confront the enemy, we do so according to the Ephesians mandate. We do so according to the apostolic instructions of Ephesians 1 all the way through 5 and a half, becoming the church that we are called to be. That's where 99.9% of spiritual warfare gets waged and won, is by just conforming corporately to the image of Jesus, not according to our own traditions or popular charismatic, Pentecostal, evangelical Christianity where it so departs from Scripture, but according to the actual raw honey data of the Bible itself. When we are, by grace, just conforming to the image of Jesus according to this information and these declarations in Scripture, then we are overcoming the devil. And our eyes are on Jesus the whole time. He's the one exalted in chapter 1. Paul establishes at the very beginning... The blessedness of God, right? So the Ephesians mandate begins with a radical and constant God-wordness. A fullness of adoration toward the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's like the beginning of warfare. God, we love you. We worship you. And we remember the blessings of your redemption and our inheritance And we are grateful and we find ourselves increasingly addicted to your presence. You are in our sights. Our eyes are on the throne. Come on now. I was in the spirit. No, that's not the one I wanted to. That's not what I'm quoting. What am I trying to quote here? Um, um, I heard the voice that was speaking to me at first. And immediately I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne and one sitting on the throne. There's the beginning of warfare right there. We worship you, almighty God. We're not just going to sing testimonies. We're going to say you are the one from everlasting to everlasting. You are God and there is no other. You have no beginning. You have no end. And you are the sovereign creator of all creation. We worship you. We fear you. We love you. And we bask in the goodness that we heard about tonight in Jesus' name. We remember the benefits of our redemption. You have redeemed us by your blood. We are thankful for the gift of the blood of Jesus. You have expiated our sins. You have propitiated the wrath of God. You have rescued us from sin and damnation. And we are thankful for that. Our eyes are on you. That's like the first major installment of warfare. And then it just goes on basically to developing the body of Christ and learning how to live in covenant relationships with one another so that we can actually embody Jesus. So that's the Ephesians mandate. I don't know if we're going back through everything over the next several weeks. I don't know what we're supposed to do, but I do believe I'm supposed to teach on this tonight. It's a follow up from that message. Uh, Last Easter, when we began lockdown, we had been in lockdown for a couple of weeks or something. Um, But then another prophetic word came when we had our Zoom church and we were with the guys in the the other cities that Chicago, Orlando, Birmingham and us and some others. And a prophetic word came forth to sever our obsession with conspiracy theories, right or wrong. It's the wrong spirit. We felt to prepare for warfare. Don't get caught up in the whole conspiratorial obsession. That seems to have waned a bit, but in any case, at the time it needed to be said. And also that we were being called into a tomb. 
of pause and that God would call us out at the appropriate time with a new measure of the empowering anointing of the Holy Spirit. So I believe I have clarity about the stronghold that was from the first message, first series. And I believe I have a little bit of clarity on what the Lord's saying about calling us forward with a new measure of power. Hence, we start again with be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, it will overlap with these things and where it goes into the future, time will tell. The main thing is, is that we're houses of prayer and that we are connecting with God, first commandment, connecting with one another, second commandment, and overflowing to the world around us. And I'm telling you in Jesus' name, Aslan is on the move. Oh, you like that? You like that? Oh, that got like... I think the word Aslan is Turkish for lion. I think, yeah. Okay, so I'm talking about the lion of the tribe of Judah. I'm talking about Jesus. I don't call him Aslan in prayer or anything. I'm just quoting a book. Was he quite safe? He's not safe, but he's good. He is on the move in our midst. We don't have to hype anything up. Our eyes are on him. We're going to love one another. And God's going to speak and act as long as we're open to him. It is happening now as we speak. And it will continue to happen. There is an increase and a swelling. The last series we had, there was a prophetic word word went forth about the winds of change. Well, we're in the winds of change. And they keep winding and changing. (laughs) Uh, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This idea of strength is very important. We need strength for battle. I'm reminded of that verse all the way near the end, Revelation 12. Uh, at a, at a, I believe this is a watershed moment in the, in the last days, this episode in Revelation 12. Uh, after the gospel is recounted and the child is born of the woman in labor, and he's caught up to God when the dragon was trying to devour him, and he, he ascends to heaven, And then the woman escapes. And then it says, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waged war against the devil and his angels. And then it says, and the devil waged war. So it's interesting, the devil is described as waging war second. Because God is the aggressor. And his troops are initiating the defeat of satanic forces. Of course, the initial defeat is at the cross, resurrection, ascension. But then this has to be exerted at different moments and in different generations in different ways. You following me? And at that time, Michael, just like Daniel said, he would rise up in Daniel 12. At that time, Michael would rise up, who's the prince of your people. right? So that happens in Revelation 12. Michael rises up, his troops are with him, and they initiate the battle. And the devil fights back. And here's what it says. They were not strong enough. So the devil and his angels were not stronger than Michael and his angels. And so they were thrown out of heaven. They were thrown down out of the heavenly regions, even in the last day scenario, thrown down to the earth, which would intensify, of course, the trouble on the earth. We're not in that season yet. My point is, that strength is necessary to overcome. The devil was literally not strong enough. In Isaiah 11, 
one of the dimensions of the anointing on the Messiah is a spirit of might. We are called to be strong in the strength of the Lord for battle. When we're strong, the devil is weaker than us. When we're weak in the Lord, the devil is still weaker than us theoretically, but not necessarily practically. We need the Lord's strength. Now, if you're feeling weak, you're a, you're a white-hot candidate for divine strength. So don't feel weak and confuse that with spiritual weakness because the weaker you feel, the stronger the Lord can be through you. But according to scripture, we're called to conform to the image of Jesus as communities of faith in our city so that we can implement the strength that we read about in Ephesians. Right. So now let's see here. Let's read the rest of this passage. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You know what? Lord, give us grace to be strong in you. We need your anointing. We need your strength. We need your infusion of spiritual might in our hearts in a fresh way. Paul's next exhortation is to put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That language corresponds to some of the things I just said, doesn't it? You know, there, there are things we do. It's all by grace, but we have to steward. We have to conform. Strap on the battle gear. Most of which has to do, by the way, with the way we conduct our lives and our relationships right here. This is why I'm concerned about the evil spiritual stronghold that's being constructed and is close to being finished in our nation. While the church isn't necessarily strapping on this warfare, uh, strapping on this battle gear for warfare, according to the apostolic instructions of the letter to the Ephesians. Okay, I don't have a message of doom. But I'm concerned. But I can only do and, and, and deal with the area that I have control over, and that's my own life, and then where I have influence in, in my sphere of influence. So I'm asking you to do the same. Let's do all we can to prepare. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's a word we need to hear it these days. <laughs> The spirit of offense is afoot. <laughs> and some people can just look at the image of a person, a leader or someone, and be like, <laughs> it's like, I don't care what you can cite about her or his life. The spirit of offense will mow you down if you entertain it. Humans are not our enemy. The devil's not my, uh, my wife's not my enemy. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. David Hogan said, my wife's not my enemy. The devil's my enemy. <laughs> Sometimes the line gets blurry. <laughs> We're not experiencing that right now. That's why Gina can smile. But, <laughs> but that's where the battle is. Not just maintaining, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, a lack of conflict, but cultivating the presence of covenant love. That's where most of the warfare is done, because that's most of the time where the devil gets in, in our covenant relationships. And so if he can inspire the church to constitute itself based on fragmentation and make it think it's just cracking along with its 
we're all unified because we shake hands after the offering, then he's like, awesome. Because the absence of conflict is not unity. The presence of love is unity. So we're seeking to strap on this battle gear that relates to these spiritual powers rather than flesh and blood. And, and the spirit of offense is trafficking in our, in our nation like it's, it's going ballistic. So there's just an image, just an idea comes up. And you might be right that that thing is really wrong, but when offense comes up, rather than the, 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 uh, the, the thriving virtues of the Holy Spirit, then you and I need to repent and go back into the, the presence of Jesus where we behold his glory and become more like him so that we can respond the way the king is responding and the way the church should be responding rather than responding the way this evil stronghold is operating, which is part of my point tonight, as we'll see. So we're battling against the rulers, against, let me say this, we're battling against the rulers, against the authorities, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Um, no, I skipped one. Against the rulers, against the, the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able or you will be powerful to resist in the evil day. So there are moments where there are specific battles. There are days that can be called, that's an evil day. When that day comes... Be ready. All right, so I pray for the spirit of the fear of the Lord to help us be sober because this is real. This is not me theorizing or just getting through a sermon for church. We want to be ready for the evil day. Okay, we're not perfect, but God is. So if we're just looking to him and actively harmonizing with him as the scriptures teach and the spirit leads, we'll be ready. And we've had enough go on that's not even the evil day I believe I'm referring to, but enough has gone on to say, okay, yeah, you got my attention. Because we've already had to respond to very, very unique circumstances. I've, you know, I guess everybody's saying this, but I'm, I'm 53 and a half right now. And I've never experienced anything like this in my lifetime. For those of you who are older, I don't know if you could say the same thing. But, you know, I remember a little bit of Vietnam. I remember a little bit of the fall of Saigon. I remember the racial uh, tension of the 1980s. I remember Miami burning. I remember plumes of smoke going up into the sky as I looked at it from a distance because that's where I'm from. And it was it was very, very tense. And it was intense. Of course, we all remember 9-11, or most of us would. And, and all of that. But this is absolutely unique. This has this has changed life and perhaps changed it forever between these these issues that we know about between the virus and, and the disease that it is and the racial and ideological tension that's now standardized in our culture. These two entities that I just described are working together with another force to create a stronghold over our nation to seek uh, a demonic victory. And it's specifically challenging the church and mocking the church. And so what we want to do is we want to build the alternative. And of course, we shouldn't have to look at an evil stronghold 
to get our cues from that. We should be looking to Jesus and the word and saying, yeah, we want to build the new Jerusalem in our city. We want to build the stronghold of God. We want to build the house of God. Yeah, we want to build. We want to build that. And nothing can defeat that structure. The church. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. There's your there's your language of warfare about the. The, the city of God within a city battling these spiritual strongholds that are basically strongholds of death. They're strongholds of Hades. Well, we are in a, in, a, in a season when there has been a stronghold under construction for years, decades. I mean, I don't even know what kind of timeline to put on it, but it's almost finished. It's, it's an evil stronghold in the, in the sky, and we have to fight. Take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. So that you'll be powerful to resist an evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace in everything, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In everything, with all prayer and petition, um, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that a message might be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to think. I don't know how to quote that passage without finishing it, so... If that part doesn't apply as much, forgive me. Um, by the way, that, that one part can be translated a little differently, and it is important. When Paul says, be on the alert with all perseverance, the way that could be translated technically could be, be on the alert to the Spirit. We'll get back to that. So I believe we can identify spiritual strongholds based on the language of verse 12. I also believe we can identify spiritual strongholds based on Mark chapter 5, to which I'm asking you to turn now. Mark chapter 5. And I want to read this story and talk about it a little bit. I am justifying a prophetic diagnosis of what is going on in our world um, based on these passages and also what I believe is spiritual insight the Lord has given me. All right, is, is everybody with me on that? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to diagnose a spiritual stronghold that's behind the ideological tensions. It's behind the racial tensions. It's behind the exploitation of any of the above. And it's behind the disease. And it's behind other things going on. So I'm diagnosing this so that we can uh, understand the way the enemy is operating. But more importantly, so that we can uh, be beautiful in our season and respond the way God would have us respond. However, I want to say this. Our focus is not on the stronghold. Our focus is on God on his throne and Jesus and the truth of the word. Most of our spiritual warfare is accomplished by just obedience to the word in our relationships with God and with one another. Okay, I can't emphasize that enough. I don't get up and think about the spiritual stronghold. I have to be very intentional when I'm reading the scripture or I'm being led of the Lord. Otherwise, I couldn't even care less. I'm not interested. 
Jesus is too beautiful and he's too complex to be distracted from other things. I want to understand who Jesus is. The Prince of Peace who brings a sword. Let's talk about that. What's that all about? The Lamb of God who comes back with on a horse in wrath with blood on his garments. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about these verses that, that describe you marching through the wilderness with blood on your garments. The sword coming out of your mouth. Is that real? I, I think that's awesome. Or the gentle lamb that just soothes my soul when I'm all up in arms about a little tiny thing or I'm being completely overwhelmed by some big thing. And I spend time with the Lord and just looking at him, I see this lamb-like shepherd just minister to my soul. I'm like, okay, I could just be here and forget everything else. Okay, that's my spirit and that's what I want you to share. You see what I'm saying? But according to these passages where there are explicit and blunt statements and descriptions of evil strongholds, then we're going to pay attention to them, but we're going to manage it like mature Christians. Come on now. Thank you for that. That was very, very helpful. We can manage this without getting thwarted by witchcraft and darkness and conspiracies. Our eyes are on Jesus. He's more than enough. But where he talks about these things, we're going to sit at his feet and say, okay, we can handle this, Lord, in your light. And by the way, when we do see what you're teaching about these things, and even some of the most vile and ugly things that are going on in our world by these demonic powers, when we look at you in contrast, and we look at the way you're going to bring about justice in every situation, and bring about redemption and glory, their plans backfire because you now look more beautiful to us than you did a minute ago. So there's that too. Verse 1 of Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, they being Jesus and his disciples, into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. That's important terminology. That's actually political terminology. It doesn't come off very clearly reading it in English in our culture. In their culture, in the Greek language, and in, in a, a Greco-Roman context, okay, when a dignitary comes to a, a city or a region, before he gets there with his entourage, the, the dignitaries of the city, proper etiquette dictates, they go out to meet him and escort him in. Now, these demons are not friends with Jesus. And they, they don't adore him. They are threatened by him. And they hate him. And they hate his people. But, he's the king. They can't help it. There's an authority issue here. And as evil and hateful and as against Jesus as they are, they even appeal to him later in, in another version of the story, they use apostolic language, send us into the swine. Like, the, the language is militaristic. Dispatch us. Please are, you know, not out of loyalty or love, but out of military hierarchy, they're saying, so to speak, Lord, dispatch us somewhere else. Don't ruin us in this other way. Because he's their only recourse. He's the king. There's no higher authority. What he says, go. So they're begging for their their, their lives, in a sense. 
Are you following me? That's why they ask him and he lets them go into the pigs. Because he's demonstrating his kingdom. There's other reasons too. We'll, we'll talk about that. Right. So they go out to meet him and it's not, if that's not enough, uh, the man with the unclean spirit from the tombs went out to meet him. He had been dwelling among the tombs and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. So you see the strength there? There's physical strength there. Has any of you ever read that story of John G. Lake, missionary to South Africa, when the demonized guy, the mother of the demonized guy, called him to um, call John G. Lake to come minister to this dude that was demonized? He was crouched like a lion, growling. He said, you can't go in there, John. He's, he's beat up everybody that went in there. And John G. Lake goes in there by himself. And um, this dude's uh, crouching and growling. And John G. Lake said, saying the worst blasphemies I've ever heard in my life. This guy has beaten up everyone else that came to subdue him. When I read this story, I'm like, John G. Lake, you are a stud. I could never do this. I would have to be like completely immersed for weeks. He goes in, and the dude was backing up. John G. Lake grabs him by the wrist, turns his hands over, and pulls him face to face like this. And he says, I'm telling you, this is the way he put it. He says, I'm telling you, the Christ was in me. And he was looking out of my eyes into the eyes of that man with his demons. And I saw fear as the thing cowered away from me. And I prayed and he got delivered and he was made whole. But this guy was beating up everybody that came in after him. These demonic powers have like emotive and spiritual and physical strength. (laughs) Lord, have mercy on us. So this man is demonstrating the strength, and you're going to see why. Mark, uh, excuse me, Matthew tells us there's another dude with him. He's kind of the junior partner. This guy is focused on by Mark and Luke because he's the main speaker. He's the leader. The other guy, I've seen these pairs before. The other guy just sitting there like this. Because I've seen this happen. The other guy's, you know, he's the one, he's the spokesman, he's bold. But there's more going on than meets the eye. So he's got all this physical power. They can't hold him in chains in verse 4. He tears them apart. He breaks them. And here's this phrase. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly day and night, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. So there was self-destructive behavior for sure. But it's also wielding influence on others. He's self-destructive, but he's also terribly intimidated. You ever notice that pattern? Someone who's like fully carnal or they're really, uh, what, what am I looking for? They're, they're, they're troubled. They're, they're so self-oriented. They go from flashes of, oh, terrible me, terrible me, terrible me, terrible me. And other times they're like, I know what I'm doing. Don't tell me what to do. Don't you, you know, don't, don't you explain that to me. I know what's going on. It's you. Who, you know, it's like these, these flashes of complete intimidation and, and confidence with this, this other extreme of complete self-mutilation and how terrible I am. But it's, it's the fight or flight kind of expressions of the flesh and the devil just exploits that. Right. So let's beware of those tendencies ourselves, you know, playing the victim, which is manipulative or trying to uh, uh, you know, overpower people. That's manipulative, too. They're two different extremes. If the one doesn't work, you go to the other. Right. All of its flesh, all of its devil. So we steer away into the love of Christ. Amen and hallelujah. Come on now, that was good. That was good preaching. 
So day and night screaming, verse 5, gashing himself. And here we go, a, a, a more graphic description of the meeting. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. That's a really cool picture. Especially in light of what we learn in a minute. That this is not just one unclean spirit. This is a large conglomeration of, of many spirits that created a stronghold that wielded influence over this whole large region. They are in control. And when they see the king, they literally run up through this man and bow in front of him. King Jesus. All hail King Jesus. All hail Emmanuel. And throughout... How many of you were saved in the 80s? And throughout eternity... Come on, how many of you know that... How many of you know that Assemblies of God sound at the piano? (laughs) Praise the Lord, I was saved in that. Carry on, she says. He bows down. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, don't torment me. Mark's narrative is clear. Jesus is in total control. And these demons are totally subject to him. And subjugated to him and fearing further subjugation. Uh, shouting, okay, read that. Verse 8, for he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus is, is on purpose in a process here. Jesus' words aren't too weak. He's just laying it out what his agenda is. Come out of him, you unclean spirit. Jesus is just flashing his badge. He's not using his gun right now. And he's letting the demon just sit there for a minute. He's in complete control. It's all part of the narrative. We have to keep working on things. Jesus didn't have to work. Jesus is unearthing this stronghold so people can see it. So come out of the man, you unclean spirit. That's why the demon's arguing, please don't torment us. That's what's happening. You understand? Jesus saying, come out. They're saying, please don't torment us. And he was asking him, what's your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion. For we are many. Okay, I'm the doorkeeper. I'm the head guy here speaking to you. But I have, again, this is military language. I have a a legion with me. We have a troop of whatever, 600, 6,000. We're here. And we're together. It's not just this guy. It's not just me. We have a whole contingent. We got together. We harmonized over time. And we're holding this whole region under the throes of our influence. And the guy cackling in the tombs, he's our front man for the unclean spirit. But we have the whole region. So if you cast us out of here, we lose our post. You could very well throw us into the abyss. That's the holding place that's going to be opened up again at the end of time. But in the meantime, it's a prison. So they don't want to go there. So at least, and we don't, and and here's a key thing, and this is, this is Mark's version. He emphasizes this. Whatever you do, please don't throw us out of the region. We want control of our territory. So please, can we negotiate King Jesus? And so he, they say we're many and, um, 
Right. So verse 10, he began to implore Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. So there's the importance of the geography. They don't just want to avoid prison. They want to keep their post. They want to maintain control over their region. Now, there was a herd, a herd, a large herd. Maybe that is the word combined. There was a herd. You will you may need that one day. If you're ever a guest at a pig farm. Oh, I see you have a herd there. It's a herd. There was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored Jesus, saying, send us. See what word that is. Yeah, that's a different. That's not the same idea. Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. You understand why Jesus gave them permission, right? Because spiritually they're pigs and he's letting it be illustrated publicly. These unclean spirits are parallel to these pig animals. So when you see me flushing them out of the region, you get a parabolic illustration. When the pigs are throwing themselves off the hill, that's the demons leaving. He's exposing everything. So he permitted them coming out. The unclean spirits entered the swine. The herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. Now, this is important, so let's track here. And the people came to see what it was that happened. There's a subtle message there, guys. It's very subtle, but it's clear in the language, especially Matthew's version, but here also. These people are acting like the legion of demons. It's not just the demonized man. The whole region that's not immediately demonized are still reflecting the image of the big stronghold. They're reflecting the image of this legion. Because just as that unclean spirit drove the man to go out and meet Jesus, now the people are coming out to meet Jesus. They're, they're repeating the actions and they'll repeat the language. So, um, where was I? So they came to Jesus in verse 15 and they observed the man who had been demon, demonized, sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. Another repeat. Why are you afraid when a man is now whole? Why aren't you throwing a party? Because that man's delivered. We're still like the demons. The guy who was demonized, who had the hornet's nest, he was the most immediate and obvious problem. But the people of the region are bearing the image of the stronghold without necessarily being so directly demonized which is exactly what's happening in our nation. Even the church is going back and forth with the same vitriol at times of the spirit of division that's in this stronghold. So we may not be immediately demonized, but we're acting more like the stronghold at times, and certainly the world is, than we are our own Lord and Holy Spirit. And it says here, they they began to implore him to leave their region. Sound familiar? The demons are gone. But those who bear witness to them are still there acting like the demons. 
They run up, they meet, they, they're afraid, they say, get out, get out, get out. They're just like the demons. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demonized was imploring him that he might accompany him. Now, this guy's got it together. I just want to be with Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And check this out. Talk about Jesus quickly tearing down a stronghold and replacing it with apostolic witness. The very man who was the hornet's nest now becomes the missionary of the liberated region. Talk about reversal. This is King Jesus. If we're in alignment with him, we don't have to get all spooky about spiritual warfare. Jesus is going to be king in and through his people in a region. So Jesus wouldn't let this guy follow him in verse 19. He said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he showed mercy on you. And look at his assignment here in verse 20. He went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis. That's a region. It means 10 cities. It means 10 city, which is 10 cities. So this region of 10 cities, this is what was ruled by Legion. Jesus came and got rid of Legion. And guess and guess who now the missionary is that expresses the kingdom stronghold is the same guy who used to have and be possessed by the evil stronghold. That's Jesus with a little wink. <laughs> a little, uh, a little uh, what, do you, what do you call, uh, having a little fun uh, in a godly way with not only defeating the devil, but there's a certain degree of display and mockery there. The guy that you owned, because this guy was surely the person of peace for the region. He was the missionary key. That's why the demons were infesting him. They saw the influence. So he gets liberated, and Jesus says, well, here you are. You're filled with the spirit of my dominion. You are now the missionary to the region I just liberated. And everybody you influence will come together and create the alternative stronghold on the ground with parallel and corresponding power in the heavens. Shondai, they said. (laughs) And of course, this is the great, the very last words of verse 20, the, the last words of verse 20, and they were amazed, which is the, the, the kind of the ultimate response. It's, it, it's essentially worship. When Jesus displays himself, the idea is not, yay, the demons are subject to us, which he taught again. It's, oh, you are awesome. Oh, we want more of that. So Jesus says, yeah, replicate it. We have certain license in the context of the face of Jesus and the word of God to identify the stronghold that we're battling only so that we might look to Jesus and be the alternative. We shouldn't need to see the urgency of evil to be our main motivation, and I don't believe it is our main motivation, but I believe the Lord is still using us, uh, using that to make us more urgent about becoming the churches and the church of the city that he's called us to be. Because when I contend for certain things like constituting the church as a family, releasing people to love one another and be equipped to minister to one another and their world without being conducted from uh, the leadership, but rather being supported and equipped by the leadership. When I contend for these things, I'm not just whining about some idiosyncrasies. I see this battle and I see what it takes to be stronger than our enemy. That's what I'm going for. Not solely. Primarily, it's the glory of Jesus. It's the will of God. One thing I ask that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever to behold the beauty of the Lord. You want presence? Find God's address. 
That's my first issue. My second issue is I don't want to be trampled on and I don't want my friends trampled on. So let's build. All right. So a few comments then, if, if I may, on the nature of this stronghold in our generation. And every point I make, I have three main points. I say three main points, meaning the way I describe this stronghold is three main elements. I'll call them spirits or their elements. But um, because I now have three points doesn't mean I'm just now starting my sermon. So it's just three points. Just near the end. Near the end. Everybody tell me we're great. Everybody tell me we're great. How's everybody doing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Little break there. Breaking up. I see this stronghold, I would call it something like this. It's not important to have the right name. I, I see it as a, this, this thing being constructed by these evil powers coming together, finding harmony with people on the earth and therefore harmony with one another. Okay. It's a stronghold of demolition. It's just destruction. That's a large generic name. So it's my three points that really identify it because there's three main elements to it. And I, because I'm a good preacher, well, I shouldn't say that. I'm trying to be a good preacher. Three Ds. They all begin with the letter D. <laughs> and guess what? My alternative, the alternative points in the church, three A's. So six points in a poem and all uh, alliteration. Okay. Spirit of death, spirit of division, and the spirit of the dogs. Dogs. <laughs> the bad kind. Let me explain. No, let me sum up. Not a golden retriever. Not that kind of dog. We're talking about a hybrid, not God-made dog. <laughs> What's that? Yes. So death, there's a spirit of death. These, these three things are combining. And I'll explain what I mean by the dogs in a minute. I needed a D word. <laughs> it means poor eating. I don't know. No, actually that would work, but I don't, I don't think that. Uh, death, division, and dogs. These three have gotten together to come close to the finished product in the skies that's wielding influence over our nation. Um, the death is related to the disease and the virus that is plaguing our nation and the entire globe. It doesn't take a rocket scientist in the spirit to figure this out. But it's not just what's what's been released through the virus is not just the virus and the disease itself. It's a spirit of death. Even though. OK, now listen, the virus is legitimately physically dangerous. That is true. Okay, we all know stories that, that that in itself is not being faked. That is absolutely true. And we ourselves take precautions, right? And we submit to these, these different standards. If we're going in a store, I mean, I do it in good conscience. I have no problem putting the mask on. I mean, I have a problem on the inside, but I could do it in good conscience. I, I, I'm respecting that we have not overcome all viruses. People in our midst still get sick. So listen, guys, I'm not walking around like we just have already overcome this. Okay? I respect these things. Right? But 
Um, okay, so having said that, there are people who tragically and very sadly have died because of this disease. But statistically, it's not overwhelming compared to other sicknesses and diseases. So the spirit of death is not because of the amount of people dying. The spirit of death operates through the fear of death. Death is just as active when it's not killing people. If it's making people afraid of it. Since, therefore, the children, have, uh, the children consist of flesh and blood, he, meaning Jesus, likewise also partook of the same. So that through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might liberate those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery. Their entire lives. Ah, bingo. You don't even have to have a bunch of people dying to have the spirit of death active in a culture. We are afraid of this thing as humans. And it's part of a plague of death that goes deeper than the plague itself. Very, very important. (laughs) And I say this not saying, hey, guys, just go out there and heal the sick with your shadow. It's, it don't, don't, it just ignore, just ignore the, the different standards and common sense. I'm not saying that. We need to keep doing that. But a part of us, listen, a part of us should still be righteously bothered and at least praying about it. We should not feel comfortable submitting in our spirits to a virus. I'm not saying practically, therefore, don't wear your mask where you should and practice common sense in Jesus' name. And by the way, I pray for the power of the blood of Jesus over every one of your homes. That what was it that came through on Passover? It was the angel of death. And I, I pray in Jesus' name. I, and, I, and I get in, in agreement with the power of the blood of Jesus. And I pray for the power of the blood of Jesus over every one of your homes, hearts, children, spouses, aunts, uncles, cousins, friends, anybody that's a part of your spirit and household. Be well and be healed in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Because if we're going to be the alternative, we have at least to start recognizing the Spirit's abilities and be more active in them. So let's say these things. The death consists of the disease. It it consists of the fear of death. So that's that's a big part of the scourge right now. Are you with me on that? People are concerned about it, concerned enough to take away liberties. Give me liberty or give me death is not... It's not the spirit of our age. It's like, take away my liberty so that you can protect me. Nebuchadnezzar. Don't throw me in the fiery furnace. So we have to contend with that. We, we have to say, Lord, look, I'm not going to just, you know, throw caution to the wind. But Lord, make my heart strong. And Lord, heal my friends of this thing. And Lord, cut the scourge in half in our generation. Come on, Jesus. Okay, we'll get to even more of the alternative. But you understand where I'm going with this. Guess what else is a part of the, the, the D word death? Division. So now listen to this. Division is its own element. Number one is death. Number two is division. But these three with the dog will overlap. The division we're experiencing, which is its own point, is also a subpoint of death. Because social division is also a form of death. If you're bringing your gift at the altar 
And there remember, no, is this the right verse that your, that your, your brother has out against you? No, no, that's not the right, yes, okay, well, no, no, I'm in the right place. Go up a little bit. Here we go. <laughs> you heard it said don't commit murder. Murder is killing people. That's death. Jesus says, I say to you, don't be angry. See the correlation? You've heard it said that he who commits murder will be liable to the court. I say, whoever's angry with his brother is liable to the court. Which means that that anger is related to the death and the murder. Because what is anger but in some sense seeking to eliminate the other person? That is, you know, the immediate reaction of anger is a natural emotion. Be angry and don't sin. But then he says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give a place to the devil. And then in just a couple of verses, in Ephesians 4, he says, is Ephesians 4 or 5? He says, and put away your anger. Same word. The anger he says to have, he says put away. Which means I recognize you might get mad at first, but you better control that so it doesn't become the spirit of death. Because social divisions is an expression of the spirit of death. And look at the way this disease separates us. Social distancing, masking our faces. And again, I'm not saying don't do this. I see your masks and I respect and honor you. But what is trying to be imposed on us is separating us, which is a form of death. This is what we're contending with. Now to division as its own point. This one pretty much explains itself. Our ideologies are more separated and vitriolic, angry and bitter than ever before. And I want to say something about that. I'll get back to it. Okay. Another element to this division is the obvious racial divisions that we've experienced that are there, that are actual. Minus any exaggeration, minus any falling short of what's actually there. Whatever it is in God's sight, we have that. All right, And the church is the alternative to that. Not just new policies. And not even just education. But the church, the church, times a thousand the church. All right? But these divisions are there. And then all the arguments around them are there. And the arguments aren't just between the white and the black and brown. They're between two ideologies, which has released the spirit of offense, which we already talked about. So it's the spirit of offense that, that causes our, us to rankle and rise up with, with, with you know, our veins sticking out the moment we hear, oh, I know where you're coming from. It's like, no kidding. People fall into these categories. We don't. We are people of the king. We have a different spirit. We do not belong to the zeitgeist that is seeking to define our culture. Because this stronghold has division up in it. They're working together, these demonic powers. But they're there to inspire division. And guess what we are? We're divided. We're like the people of the Gadarenes. We're acting like the stronghold. I say we as humans and as citizens of our nation and other nations, not you and me. You and I, we're doing great, aren't we? We're awesome. We are awesome. But beware the spirit of offense. It is the spirit of the age to be offended irrespective of any facts or reality. That's not just from the conservative side, facts over feelings. It may be truer from that point of view, but we're all subject to the same pattern. All right, We, we have to remain sober and not be subject to the spirit of offense. Where we, you know, Because these things are going to happen. The devil's at work. We live in a world full of sin. We're not quite to the millennium yet. 
So we're going to have to deal with these things without offense. Okay, and about the ideologies clashing, you know, the, the, the depth of philosophical um, differences are great and they cause great division. They divide people's hearts. You know, there's this, the spirit of offense has caused people, like, if you just belong to a certain way of thinking, then we are, we are enemies. By definition. You know, we, we are enemies. There, there's a division there. And it's ideologically motivated. And, and you know what's behind it, I believe? Now, one more little comment about all this. I believe it's the spirit of false messiah behind it. Because a messianic figure is not just religious. A messianic figure is political. It's a ruler that makes things good or bad or something in between for the people. And many of most of the people in our nation are looking to our political leaders to bring us a kind of salvation. So these ideological differences are like accentuating the differences. Oh, if they lead, we're all doomed. But if they lead, we're all doomed. And so we're looking to the leaders as the saviors. Even if you and I might be convinced that one side is better than the other, no one's going to deny that, voting our convictions and all of that. But to look to our political leaders one way or the other as saviors, even when we agree with them and think that there might be this one or that one might be the best leader, even if that's technically true, to put our hearts there is a is the spirit of false Messiah. And that creates division. We have one Messiah, and that's the one to whom we look and the one in whom we hope. The dogs refers to religion that mixes with it all and gives the alternative to that sense of the divine or Christianity itself. It's a part of the stronghold. That's the dogs. Why do I say dogs? Because of Philippians chapter 3. That's why I call it dogs. Philippians 3 verses 1 and 2. Paul says it's not an effort for me to write these things again to you. But um, then he goes, and it's a safeguard. It's a safeguard for you. He says, beware of the dogs. Beware of the false circumcision. Um, beware of the beware of the dogs. Beware of the the evil workers. The false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit and who glory in Christ Jesus. So the dogs are the presence of fake Christianity, religion that's inspired by by selfish motives. By traditions that are not biblical, which means they will not smack of the actual present authority of Jesus. Religion is the art of being biblically loyal while not being biblically loyal. Does that make sense? Religion is the art of propping up the kingdom without having the kingdom. Religion is a way of presenting yourself as loyal to the Bible while being disloyal to the Bible. Religion says, for instance, the gifts of the Spirit have passed away. It's all over Scripture from beginning to end. But the miraculous activity has passed away. Listen to our developed theology of how it comes to that. Meanwhile, the Bible just assumes it, teaches it, commands it. It's it's all there in the Scripture. But when we're often told that the gifts have passed away, we're taught that from the point of view of people that are being extra loyal to the Bible while we wacky charismatics are off in la-la land, and we might be in la-la land, which means we need correction. But it doesn't mean the theology is wrong because religion puts itself off as being loyal to the Bible while it's contradicting it. That's the power of religion, and that's a part of this stronghold. 
And it's not just that. It's anything that empowers us to be disloyal to the authority of God's word while feeling like we're the ones who are the true blue loyalists to the scriptures. So we really must be recommitted to the authority of God's word and all it says about mission and all it says about the church and all it says about the power of God and all it says about the kingdom and all it says about love. I'm already getting ahead into the alternatives, but you see where I'm going. This stronghold, this element of the dogs, the religion, requires the conversion of the Saul church. It requires a return to the authority of God's word. And oftentimes this religious element, this this false presentation of Christ one way or another, will often uh, express itself through false prophecies. Because there's going to be more demonic spirits faking the Holy Spirit. Like the woman, the, the girl with the, the psychic spirit. And she's saying these men are servants of the Most High God telling to you this, the way of salvation. And she was right. The information was right. She was exercising prophecy. She was right on. Hit the nail right on the head. But it was not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Just a little, it's a little detail. It was a demonic spirit. The wrong spirit might say the right things to draw you to itself rather than God. Right? When Jesus, when Jesus gave that, that revelation to the woman at the well, she came to faith and brought a whole city to faith. People came to Jesus. They even said, we don't believe anymore because of what you said, nice lady. We believe because we've experienced him ourselves. See, the Spirit of God will unveil information and bring people to Jesus. A false spirit will unveil accurate information sometimes and bring people to itself or the witch or the warlock or the psychic that is perpetrating these things. So beware the spirit of the age that false prophecy may give false data or may give true data by a wrong spirit. The prophetic activity is popular in I'm a, I have become aware of people who literally give words of knowledge from Facebook, pretending to know information they got from God when they didn't. This thing is out there. And that whole issue of getting caught up in conspiracies, now the Lord may show us conspiracies, but it's not something we're supposed to pursue because it belongs to that spirit of the age that's trying to give that prophetic authority. Like you get the right information. It's, it's like it's called Gnosticism. When you have the right information, you'll you'll be more equipped. And it's like actually, what we need is the Spirit of God, Jesus, and the Spirit of Wisdom and Revelation. So beware this issue of false prophecy that belongs to the element of religion. Okay, the three-point alternative, and this one I will do expeditiously. The three A's. What's that? Hmm? No, no. Keep going. Okay. Uh, they're, they're adjectives. Alive, allied, allied, you know, I needed an A word. And apostolic. Okay, the three A words. Alive, that's the alternative to death. Pretty clever. I, <clears throat> I, uh, <laughs> I figured that one out, you know, by myself. Allied, just an A word for unity. Versus division. I just needed an A word. Unity is more comfortable to say. And of course, the alternative to the dogs is apostolic Christianity. Which we need with 
tremendous, tremendous need. (laughs) We need it bad. To be alive, according to Jesus, when he is correcting the church of Sardis. Am I right about that? You have a reputation that you're alive, but you're dead. Wake up, he says. That's that's his way of saying be alive. Wake up. You have a reputation that you're alive. You're not. You're dead. Wake up. He doesn't say live because technically they're alive, but practically they're dead. Wake up. The living church is woke, spiritually woke. (laughs) The zeitgeist takes these ideas, uses it for itself. The Spirit of God is saying, wake up, and that's associated with life, right? Ephesians 5, thus it is written, awake, sleeper, and rise from the dead. So they're connected, waking up and being alive. Let, and, and then that verse, be alert in the spirit. Here's, here's a couple of ways that I'm encouraging you to be spiritually awake. Number one, Lord, help us to, con- it's, it's a prayer. I'm going to give it as a prayer. Lord, help us to, uh, to, to look to the spirit for his benefits rather than just always yield to the, the solutions of the flesh. Lord, help us to just start exercising our muscles. Right? If there are gifts of healing, then let's start praying for healing. I'm sure we already do. Of course we do. But I mean, let's do it more. Okay? I'm not suggesting, again, we go to a complete other extreme. Suddenly, like we're Peter healing people with our shadow. But let's look to the Holy Spirit. If there's a problem, if we're suffering with something, if there's some lack of provision, let's pray in the Spirit until something changes or we start to get the idea. The Lord might say, well, you have an issue in such and such an area. Or you just need to make one simple adjustment. Or just wait three more days. Or fast till then. I mean, whatever it is, let's look to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit among us as the solution to whatever we're facing so our hearts get conditioned to be awake toward the Spirit instead of being dull toward the Spirit. Another way of being alive in the Spirit is to be full of the Spirit. To be full of the Spirit means to be satisfied with God rather than letting our hearts find satisfaction in other things. That's a whole other sermon. I'll give that to you to fill out. It is also expressed through speaking in other tongues. That's one of the great expressions, because then that has to do with mission. It's a symbol of mission, which I will mention next. But in any case, as we're satisfied, let's also pray in the Spirit. Let's be alive. And finally, as far as being alive, I believe it will be one of our... One of the activities that will release life in our midst is when we get way more intentional and deliberate about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who are dead and lost and start making disciples and planting churches in neighborhoods that are geographically, uh, or, you know, they're, they're geographically located. Amen. 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 All right. Remember when Jesus speaks, um, what, what church is it? You've left your first love. That's Ephesus, right? So he says, you know, you, you, you do a good job. You, you identify the false prophets, uh, excuse me, apostles. You said they're, you found them to be false, and you were right. But I have this against you. You've left your first love. And then he says as the alternative, repent and do the deeds you did at first. We immediately think, oh, I have to spend more time with Jesus, which we do. 
need that. And we should think that in terms of returning to our first love. But what Jesus says is, do the deeds you used to do. You're doing all these deeds. I'm calling you to the deeds you used to do. They're the expression of first love. Well, what are those deeds? He doesn't say. He just says, do those deeds. But it was deed doing that indicated first love. Well, at the top of this oracle to the Ephesian church is Jesus who stands among the lampstands. So I'm thinking the light of the world shining to the world, the deeds had to do with shining the light out in the darkness. If you really love me, you'd share my love for the world. Shine that. So that's what I'm thinking. If we want to thrive in the life of the spirit, let's start preaching the gospel more intentionally, deliberately and broadly and seeking to really Harvest disciples because people are dead. And if we are alive, that will always express itself through reproduction. And being concerned about people who are dead so that when they hear the gospel, something pops and they come to life. I mean, we've experienced that already, but I think the more deliberate we are and the more that we attack, so to, so to speak, certain areas of our city, the more life we will experience and the more life other people will experience and will be the alternative to this Spirit of death in our age, which is trying to keep us from sharing the gospel. Because we all have masks over our faces. And we have to stay apart. You know, there's, we have to think of creative ways, I guess. But still, that's the attempt. Everybody with me? That's the attempt, right? I heard a preacher in Colorado say, you know, Moses took his, Moses took his face covering off when he went into the glory. I thought, well, that's a pretty interesting analogy. I like that. I give him credit for saying it. I didn't make that up, but I forgot forgot this brother's name. <clears throat> but I did remember that Jesus healed people with his spit. I want to get to that place. <laughs> no, trust me, you want my mask off. <laughs> Three times. Three times. Jesus' saliva healed people. So let's, let's pray to the Lord. Allied. I'm not there yet. I'm not saying I'm there yet. I'm like, oh man, did you drink out of that? I no. I mean, I'm not like you know with my wife or something, but you know, if someone was sick near me, I, you know, I think that way too. So okay, I'm not um I'm not I'm not trying to walk hyping up walking in an authority I don't have, but I do want it. I'm been praying about it all the time. Lord, restore us to your power. And restore your power to us. We have some, but I just think if we step out and try and believe, you know, it's all the meat and potatoes. That's how you win the battle. It's all the basics. It's all blocking and tackling. Learn the fundamentals. Anyway, ally, you know, unity is the alternative to division. Again, it's probably very, very impressive to you, these insights that I have. We are waging war. When we overcome the awkwardness of relationships that are new or defining church as actual family rather than groups of attendees that like the style of the church. That sound, you know, that, that's what, that's the tradition that most Western, Western Christianity practices, but that doesn't win the battle. Paul makes it clear, Jesus' death brought people together, so if we're not together, we're not exercising that ascension on the earth. It's very important. We get past any feeling of awkwardness, any divisions that we're repairing 
our relationships so that we can fight effectively, which also requires us to have healthy families. If you're struggling uh, in your marriage and in your family or whatever, I encourage you to come into the light with the brothers and sisters in your church that are trustworthy. I encourage you to come into the light and let us surround you and love you and bring you healing. We don't want any breaches in our stronghold. And it's not just being pragmatic. It's the spirit of the message that we have right now. There are other great reasons to be unified, of course, for joy and love and glorifying God and the mystery, the great mystery of Christ and his church. But let's let's go for it. You, you, we can't fake this. We cannot fake this. We cannot just say we're equipping saints. We can't just say we're healthy families. People do it all the time. They, they, they conduct their traditions that militate against biblical vision. And then they say, yeah, we're all just equipping the saints. Like, really, where? Can you be absent and the saints just carry on as if you weren't there? Leadership team? Because if they will just go somewhere else, you have not equipped the saints. At least try to equip them and work yourself out of a job and get their families healthy. You know, the word equipping in Ephesians 4 means, one of its meanings means to make whole. It's not just telling people how to minister. It's making them whole and their relationships whole so that they are strong like Michael and his angels. And finally, apostolic. Restoring the fivefold. Letting apostles lay the foundations. Creating a church as family. There that is again. Creating a house of habitation rather than temporary structures for visitation. Equipping the saints, as we already said. The apostolic element comes all the way through Ephesians chapter 1 through 5 and a half. So it's already there for us. Uh, Let's keep doing this so that we become more like Jesus together and therefore have some authority when we preach the gospel and stand against the spiritual stronghold that God is raising us up to confront one way or the other. And when I say uh, us, I don't mean king's people. King's people really is just a ministry entity. The churches are their own thing. When I say us, I mean we Christians of our city as one united church. That's where I'm referring to. Very good. Not my message, the fact that I'm done. Let's stand. (laughs) Very good. I'm done. When it speaks of the house of, of David on the day of the Lord, it says that the weakest will be as strong as David. The the most feeble among them will be like King David. And the house will be like God himself. So that's my prayer, that the Lord will make us strong. Not just by having an encounter with him, but by granting us whatever we need to get in line with his word. So I pray right now that the fire of God would just have a, a beautiful glow in its level of burning in our midst and in our hearts right now. Okay, I see that. It's not a raging inferno. But there's a beautiful low glow that's consistent. And I pray for that gentle, warm light to burn in our hearts and in our midst right now. And Lord, right now in prayer, 
with this glow like embers. We submit ourselves to you in prayer. We yield to you right now. We yield to you and we submit to you in prayer right now. And we fix our eyes on you, Lord, in your name. Jesus at your Father's right hand. Abba, Father, our sovereign God, but our precious Abba. We look to you right now as this gentle burning is in our midst. And we pray that you will begin right now to work in our hearts in a fresh way. That you will work in us to bring about areas that we must repent and get into alignment with you about right now. Speak to us about whatever areas in our minds, our mouths, our minds, relationships. We pray that it would be thorough, but we pray that it would be gentle, like that gentle glow of the Spirit right now. You guys just glow, just just let that that gentle glow just burn you right now. And, you know, without necessarily shouting out, as the Lord gives you utterance, just begin to lift your voice in prayer in agreement with that with that beautiful that beautiful yellow orange glow of the Spirit that's happening right now. Just get, let, let's let's prayerfully align with that. <clears throat> Good. <clears throat> Gentle, wonderful Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord. Just continue to pray a few moments. few more moments. Lord, we're asking you to search us and convict our hearts. I'm going to continue to pray for you. We have just a couple more. We have, we have time here. I want to pray for you one more thing. Lord, we pray for that spirit of might. Guys, it's, it's, it's really cool. I, I have faith for this. Lord, grant your people the spirit of might, the spirit of might that rested on the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 11, spirit of strength. Lord, we pray for all the dimensions of the spirit. We want his counsel. We want his wisdom. We want it all. But Lord, you told us to be strong. We're praying for your strength because we are weak. We are weak. We can't stand together, disunited, disapostolic, disalive. We need you. We need you to infuse us. We need you to refresh us. We need revival. Lord, send revival. Send revival to our hearts and home. We pray for your manifest presence. Revive us in our churches, Lord. We pray for revival, for your presence to come with intensity and manifestation. 
to revive us and grant joy and, and to give us the strength that we need to be your house. So we're crying out to you now as you're searching us. We're also praying for strength. Lord, we don't boast that we're able to stand. If, if we're weak with the footmen, what will we do when the horses are running? Lord, we don't boast in our own strength. We boast in your strength. So again, we yield to you. Again, we bow to you, Lord. We're not capable of this. We're not capable of loving the way you've called us to love. Of being church or sharing the gospel with power. Or confronting these, these strongholds. Lord, in ourselves, we're not capable. But you can make us capable. So we're asking you to do that. We're praying for infusion. We're praying for mercy. We're praying for healing, for repentance, for restoration in our hearts and homes and in our churches. Lord, make something strong. We're so weak by ourselves. We are so eager and happy to confess our weaknesses and our incapabilities. But at the same time, we do so asking for strength and believing you and thanking you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, guys, I asked Gina to share something about personal strongholds. So I want to give five minutes to her to do that, and then we will be done. Okay, so can we just be seated and let her present this to her? I could have done it while they were standing. Oh, could have done it while you were standing. It's fine. Um, I just want to read a scripture and just encourage us in, in along these lines. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity. So these thoughts that are out there that are trying to build the negative stronghold, we bring them down in the name of Jesus and we build a positive stronghold by the opposite thoughts, the, the positive and the true thoughts that, that are the word of God, that God is declaring. So when we get in line in our minds and our hearts, we start believing the truth of the word of God. It starts to build the positive strongholds in us, in us, the church, in our, in us individually, in our families. We can build these positive strongholds. We can actually recognize the spirit's abilities in our midst to do this. And so I just want to encourage everybody that as you're going throughout your days and throughout your weeks, that when thoughts come into your mind, examine them. Are, th- are these thoughts in alignment with the word of God? And if not, what is the truth of the word of God? What is God saying? What is the truth that he wants me to know in this situation? And let that those those true thoughts become the positive stronghold that starts to build you up individually, that starts to build us up as a body, as families. And one of the ways we can do this is actually by looking for ways that these things are true. When we're convinced of something, whether it be good or bad, we start to see ways of proving that that's true to ourselves. So like if we, if we're believing something bad or wrong, like, you know, Murphy's Law, it's just something's going to go wrong, whatever. It will, it will happen because we're, we're believing that. Same is true with the truth itself, that when we start believing God's word about who we are and what we're supposed to be doing, that God's word will start to become our thoughts 
And we will start to see proof of that if we will open our eyes and be be alive and awake to those things that God is doing. It's like people are saying, well, where, what's God doing on the earth? What's Where's the healing? Where's the this? Open your eyes. God is working. It's what you focus on and what you look at and what you meditate on that you actually becomes part of you. So I just want to encourage us to look for proof of God's truth because it's there. And when we see it, we're like, yes. God is doing this work because this just happened because this person just shared with me a scripture that was already on my heart because when I went in this meeting and I gave this word and somebody said, I've been thinking of the same exact thing. See, God is among us. See, the spirit is active in our midst. See, when I share, you're getting encouraged. See, that person did get healed. And it's like we're affirming the word of God. We're affirming the truth in our minds and our hearts. And that builds a positive stronghold against the enemy. That's one of the ways we can tear down his strongholds and build up the strongholds of the Lord. So I just wanted to encourage you with that to see the things that um, that he is doing and that he is saying and the truth of the word to let it become your thoughts and then to also prove it to yourself. Prove it to yourself by recognizing it and, and restating it to yourself. Yes, that did happen. God's on the move. Yes, this happened. God's on the move. So that's my encouragement. That's awesome.